Good morning. If you're able, would you please stand for the reading of God's word? Our passage this morning is from James chapter 4, verses 1 through 12. What causes quarrels and what causes fights among you? Is it not this, that your passions are at war within you? You desire and do not have, so you murder. You covet and cannot obtain, so you fight and quarrel. You do not have because you do not ask. You ask and do not receive because you ask wrongly to spend it on your passions. You adulterous people, do you not know that friendship with the world is enmity with God? Therefore, whoever wishes to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. Or do you suppose it is to no purpose that the scripture says he yearns jealously over the spirit that he has made to dwell in us, but he gives more grace. Therefore, it says God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Submit yourselves, therefore, to God, resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Draw near to God, and he will draw near to you. Cleanse your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. Be wretched and mourn and weep. Let your laughter be turned to mourning and your joy to gloom. Humble yourselves before the Lord, and he will exalt you. Do not speak evil against one another, brothers. The one who speaks against a brother or judges his brother speaks evil against the law and judges the law. But if you judge the law... You are not a doer of the law, but a judge. There is one lawgiver and judge, he who is able to save and to destroy. But who are you to judge your neighbor? This is God's word for us today. You may be seated. Well, good morning. I'm Pastor Brooks. Thank you for joining us as we are worshiping together as a family of believers. We're continuing our series in the book of James. Chapter 3 begins with an admonition to be careful about how you're using your tongue. Um, We use our tongues to build people up. We also use our tongues to tear people down. And at the end of chapter 4, you see James again going back to the don't use your mouths to judge people and to speak harshly about them and tear them down. So there's a section in James which is bookended by how we use our speech negatively and James warning us to not do so. And in the middle, in the middle uh, between those two bookends in chapter 3 and, and chapter 4, which we're going to cover this morning, James is talking about earthly wisdom, earthly wisdom and wisdom that's from above and how that earthly wisdom leads to quarrels and discord. And, and here in chapter 4, he talks about anger. He talks about anger. You watch the, the video testimony of Bart Floyd, who clearly has issues. Let's all pray for Bart, because he's an angry, angry man whom I can't understand or identify with at all. Um, of course, you know that sarcasm. That's when, when someone talks about how they're easily angered, most people will identify at least to a degree at least to a degree, with, with a person who, who tends, to, tends to be easily angered. Maybe not uh, in every way, but certainly in some ways. And what we're going to talk about this morning is why can't people get along? Why can't we get along? Now, some of you, you hear that question, and you immediately think, because other people are stupid. That's why we can't get along. 
this passage is especially for you, if, if, that, is, if that is your understanding. Um, yeah, why can't we get along? It's not about the other people, it's about the human heart. Now, we're going to look at three things this morning from the text in James chapter 4. First of all, the symptoms. That is, what do we feel? What do we feel? Um, what can you see as we look out at human relationships and, and anger in general, and specifically how we use our tongues, what, what do we see? What do we feel? What do we see and feel? The second we're gonna see, thing we're going to see in the text is the sickness, the diagnosis. Why do we feel it? What is actually going on at a heart level? And no, it's not because people are stupid. It's, there's something else going on at a heart level for each and every single human being on this planet. And then the third thing that James is going to take us through as we're going to see this is the solution. Well, what do you do about it? What do you do? And no, get rid of the stupid people is not the solution because the planet would be without a population if that were the case. So the solution, of course, is the gospel. We're going to keep coming back to that again and again. That's the thread that, that goes through the whole book of James. So let's go to the Lord and, and entreat him to, to show us the condition of our own hearts and how the gospel is the solution for that. Father, we, um, or at least I do, I relate to Bart's testimony. Uh, born angry, uh, born a competitor, born, wanting to win. Uh, having to have things my way. And Lord, there's a little bit of that in every single one of us. And Father, I pray that your Holy Spirit would show us, um, show us where true wisdom comes from. Show us, Jesus, how you are our proficient, you are sufficiency, and, and the Lord, all our, our peace is found in you. And uh, Lord, show us what causes fights and quarrels. And, and Lord, give us that that, uh, that, that harmony that comes from knowing you and trusting you. Father, we pray that your word would go forth this morning in a way that brings forth fruit in every heart that receives it. Prepare our hearts now for the reception of your word. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, so first of all, the symptoms. The symptoms. What are we looking at? James chapter 4, verses 1 through 3. What causes quarrels and what causes fights among you. Now the question itself is is it assumes that the readers have quarrels and fights. Let's just do a fun crowd participation st- with right now. How many of you have been involved in a quarrel or argument or fight within the last 7 days? Just quickly raise your hand. Somebody there's a lot of you. I'm I'm, in, I'm actually shocked and somewhat impressed that there were about half of you that didn't raise your hands. So maybe you don't need anything. So just bear with us and we'll get through this and you can go on your merry way. But for the other half of you that seem to struggle with fights and quarrels, the question is why? The question is why? Now, we're not talking about what James is not talking about is why is there human conflict? Why is there human conflict is different from fights and quarrels. Conflict can't be avoided. Conflict can't. Why? Because people disagree. People disagree. Some people like vanilla ice cream. Some people like chocolate. And so you're going to disagree about that. But that doesn't have to necessarily lead to fights and quarrels. So there's something else going on. And James is getting to the root of the issue here of why there is, uh, why there's so many broken relationships. Why is there so much discord? So That's what he's talking about. What causes fights and quarrels among you? Let's keep looking. Is it not this? He answers the question. Isn't it this? That that 
Your passions are at war within you. Your passions are at war within you. Make a little note here. See Galatians chapter 5, verse 16, where the Apostle Paul talks about the Spirit is at war with the flesh to cause you to do what you don't want to do. If, if you're a Christian, there's a battle going on inside of you. You have desires, you have desires, and, the des- and those desires lead you to act in ways which you know that you ought not to act. Now, here's what James is saying. Your, de- your passions, passions can be translated what you want, your desires. They're at war. They're at war within you. He, he says, you desire and you don't have, so you're murdering. You say, well, that's a bit harsh. Do we always murder? Well, it, you can look at that as in a literal sense in which you take the life of someone else. You can also look at it in the sense of, of Jesus in the Sermon on the Mount. He says, those of you who say to your brother, you fool, are, are, are in danger of the fires of hell. For I tell you the truth, if you are angry with your brother, you have committed murder in your heart. So this is a disposition a disposition which, if carried out to the nth degree, will lead to murder. But I'm not going to ask for a show of hands, but I guarantee you that many of you have, have thought momentarily, I'd like to murder that person. I'd like to take their life. Or I wish that they would just die. Maybe passively you're hoping that they would die. Just go away. You would, you're, you're, you would never carry that out but you've thought about it, fantasized about it. I remember I got out of public teaching years and years and years ago. 1993 was the last time I taught in the public schools. And I, was, I had a dream about beating a student nearly to death. And it, was, it wasn't a nightmare, it was a fantasy. Because this student just got on my last nerve. And I thought, you should probably exit the public schools at this moment. So I never killed anybody, but I thought about it and dreamt about it. And some of you have been there and some of you are there today. So you covet and you can't obtain, so you fight and you quarrel. Here's what the problem is. You want X, you want X, and person Y is between you and what you want. That's it. That's the issue. What you want is over here. And this person or this group of people is, they're in the way they're in the way. And, and that's what, that's, you have a desire and someone, something or a group of people, they're preventing you from obtaining what you think will make you fulfilled in life. He says, why don't you have it? Let's keep it. Well, you don't have because you don't ask. You, you, you don't ask. You're, you're not looking to the Father to provide that which you need. You're trying to obtain it on, of your own strength and your own power. And some of you are like, well, that's not true, Brooks. That's just not true. I did pray. Well, keep reading. Keep reading. Oh, you do ask, but you don't receive because you ask wrongly to spend it on your passions. You're treating Jesus as your cabin boy. Could you bring me a drink? Could you bring me lunch? Could you give me a... Come and fluff up my pillow? This, This is... Jesus is the Lord and King of the universe and he does meet our needs and he does meet our longings and desires, but he's not a cabin boy. He's not a waiter. He's not a butler. So James is saying, A, you didn't ask and B, you did ask, but you're treating Jesus as a means to an end. 
You're not looking for your joy and you're not looking for your hope in him. You're looking to him to bring you what you think will bring you joy. And he's just, he's just the, the gopher. He's just going to get you what you want. And James is saying, that, that's, why, that's why you're ready to tear the world apart and you're destroying all your relationships. That's why there's discord in the church. That's why there's divisions in the church. I, we're not even talking about why people fight in the world. And yes, it applies there too. But James's audience is not the world. He's speaking to followers of Christ. It's like, you want to know why you guys look just like the world and why your, your faith isn't bearing fruit? That's the reason. That's the reason. You want to know why your marriage isn't what it ought to be? See James chapter 4. You want to know why you, you want to choke everyone wherever you work? See James chapter 4. Do you want to know why you just, you just can't stand your neighbor who, who never treats his dandelions and they all blow into your yard? That's why. I literally, I spoke years ago at a, at a Christian camp. And after I spoke at a Christian camp, at, at this one message, this guy came up to me and he, was, he wanted, he said, I don't even know what I was preaching about, but he was, I have a neighbor. And he has dandelions and he doesn't treat them and they blow into my yard and then they sprout up. How was that Christian? And I was looking at him and just think, I wanted to say, you have issues I can't help. <laughs> this is a man who paid money to come to a Christian camp to hear the gospel and his chief concern is dandelions. This, uh, these are mature Christians. And I put mature in quotations. Knowing doctrine and yet ready to, to wanting someone to, to drop over because of dandelions. This is absurd. And some of you are like, that's my life. <laughs> you know, I, I throw in sarcasm and humor because if we don't laugh, we'll, we'll have to cry. It's choose one or the other. So we ought to at least acknowledge what, what is really the truth. And James is just hitting it. Ball peen hammer, right to the forehead. Pink. He's... He, Somebody said, wow, the sermon was really great last week. It really hit me. I said, well, you better duck when you come to James chapter 4 because it's a lot more brutal. Brutally honest, but it's what we need to hear. It's what we need to hear. So we ask wrongly to spend on our passions. Now, let's move to the sickness. That's, that's what we can see. And James, he gets to the, at least to some of the diagnosis there, but... Let's go a little bit deeper here. The sickness, chapter 4, verse 4 and 5. You adulterous people. Well, that's subtlety at its best right there. How about just open with calling them adulterers? What is going on here? Has James even mentioned sexual immorality? He's not talking about sexual immorality. This is, so why does adulterous people, why does he call adulterous people... In the Old Testament, in the Old Testament, n- numerous times, too numerous to go over all the incidences, but, but God refers to himself metaphorically as, as the groom, and he refers to Israel as his bride, as his bride. This is, a, this is an Old Testament metaphor with the Jewish people um, in Jesus' day and in James' day, which was a metaphor which was meaningful to them. That's how they understood them collectively as a people, as as the bride. And so even in the New Testament, we're referred to as the church collectively 
is as the bride of Christ, as the bride of Christ. And Yahweh, the God of Israel, in Israel is his bride. And so in, in James chapter 3, verse 20, James, or not, not James, rather, Jeremiah in the Old Testament, Jeremiah chapter 3, verse 20, um, verse 19, God says, I said, how I would set you among my sons and give you a pleasant land, a heritage most beautiful of all nations. And, and, and I thought you would call me my father and I would, I would not turn from, you would not turn from following me. Surely as a treacherous wife leaves her husband, you have been treacherous to me, O house of Israel." And in Matthew chapter 12, verse 29, when, when the Pharisees are asking Jesus for a sign to prove that he's the Messiah, he says, only an adulterous and wicked generation asks for a sign, and you will not receive any sign except the sign of Jonah. For as Jonah was three days in the belly of the whale, so the Son of Man will be three days in the belly of the earth." Jesus refers to the generation that he came to as an adulterous and wicked generation. He's not saying, you people are terribly sexually immoral. No, for the most part, the audience that he's speaking to, especially the Pharisees, were very, cha- they, were, they were pure in their sexual uh, behavior, for the most part. So he's not, and James is not talking about sexual morality, he's talking about idolatry. Remember Bart's testimony, the various idols of the heart? We, these are things, that, they're called over-desires. These are lusts, these are desires, which in and of themselves are not necessarily sinful. They're not necessarily sinful. But they become so overpowering to us that, that we, 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 we hook, we hang our hope on those things. We hang our hope on those things and we run after those things. And hence, it's, it's spiritual adultery. And by the way, spiritual adultery can lead to literal marital infidelity. You, you are always a spiritual adulterer before you are a literal adulterer. That's, that's how it works. Spiritual adultery manifests itself in, in, in outward sin. You cannot break commandments three through 10 without first violating commandments one and two to have no other gods beside me. That's spiritual adultery. That's spiritual adultery. So don't be shocked by that very strong language. Then keep, keep reading. Do you not know? Don't you understand that friendship with the world is enmity with God? Therefore, whoever wishes to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. Or do you suppose, or do you suppose that it's no purpose that the scripture says he yearns jealously over the spirit that he has made to dwell in us? Okay, let's hone in here on the second half of verse four. Second half of verse four. Do you not know that friendship with the world is enmity with God. Okay, first of all, friendship with the world does not mean being friendly to people who don't know Jesus. Please do not read this to say the solution is I just got to be mean to people that don't know Jesus. 
I know. What does Jesus say about loving your neighbor if your neighbor's not a Christian? You're to love them as yourself. This is not an admonition to not make friends with people that don't know Jesus. This is, this is James telling us, do not embrace the collective wisdom of the world. Go back to chapter 3. If you were here last week, you remember in chapter 3, James says that the wisdom... Um, But if you have bitterness and jealousy and selfish ambition in your hearts, do not boast and be false to the truth. This is not the wisdom that comes down from above, but it's earthly, unspiritual, and demonic. For where jealousy and selfish ambition exist, there will be disorder in every vile practice. Worldly wisdom, as we talked about last week, is the kind of wisdom that, that, that tries to figure out life independently of God. What is, when, in Bart's testimony, what did he refer to himself as? He had a self-directed life. You remember that? That's worldly wisdom. If you have a self-directed life, if you're, if you're trying to live your life in such a way that you are not looking for wisdom from Christ, you are in bed with the world. That's what it means. That's what it means. So you have all these decisions in life and you're trying to make heads or tails of what, what, what is your best life and how to live your best life. And if, if you're not going to the Father, if you're not receiving wisdom from above, you are receiving it from below. And the wisdom's world, friendship of the world, it's demonic wisdom. See Genesis chapter 3. Now, if you weren't here last week, it would be helpful if you went back and listened to that. I'm not going to re, re, bring it back up, but, but that, that's what he's talking about. That's, that's the, the wisdom of the world, and that's what it means to be a friend with God. Now, what does he say about that? If you choose, if you're trying to live with one foot in the camp of the world, and, and I, I'm going to derive my life's wisdom from the world, earthly wisdom, which is demonic, and, but I love Jesus at the same time, you're going to be pulled in two. He refers to that as being double-minded. He talks about that in chapter 1 when he says, if anyone lacks wisdom, ask, and it will be given generously to all without finding fault. But then he says, but if you're double-minded, all bets are off. What is double-minded? He's going to talk about this in a few verses, in in verses uh, 8 and 9. I'll get to that in a minute. But double-minded is simply just, I want to find my meaning in life apart from Christ, but I want a relationship with him too. Hence, adultery. I want to have a spouse, but I want to receive sexual fulfillment from this mistress. Literal adultery. Do Do you see the connection there? That's what's going on. And James is saying to those who are followers of Christ, you cannot have it both ways. You cannot have it both ways. It will tear you up. It will tear you up. It leads to enmity. You will will begin to resent God. Enmity means a spirit of discord. You will look at God as your enemy because he won't give you what you want. And you will treat him as if he is an enemy. You don't long to be with him. You just want something from him. And when he won't give it to you, you resent him and the other people that are in your way or preventing you from getting what you want to make you happy. Do you suppose it's no purpose that the scripture says he yearns jealously over the spirit that he's made to dwell in us? You say, well, I thought jealousy was a bad thing. 
Jealousy was a bad thing. That means he yearns intensely. The word jealousy means he yearns intensely for a relationship with you. It is not wrong for a spouse to, to, to yearn intensely for their spouse and to, to have a spirit of jealousy when, when that other spouse is running around on them. If you didn't have that spirit as someone who's in a covenant relationship, something's wrong with you emotionally. The, the spirit that's within us that yearns, it yearns jealously over the spirit that he's made to dwell. God desires you intensely. He desires you intensely. And he's calling us back. James is calling us back. Calling us back. Okay. Am I really a spiritual adulterer though? This is the diagnosis portion. This is where you have to turn toward the Lord and this is where I'm going to be talking for a while, but I, I, I'm, I'm going to make, draw our attention to Psalm chapter 39. Search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my thoughts. And see if there be any grievous way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. So this is an invitation for each one of you to, to just pause in the sermon right now and just say to the Lord, okay, Lord, search me. James, he leads with a hammer. He leads with a baseball bat. And he's made a really, really bold accusation that his readers are spiritual adulterers. I don't feel that maybe I'm a spiritual adulterer. Okay, yeah, I get mad at people. And I think other people that don't agree with me are stupid. And sometimes I wish they were all dead. But I still don't see, I don't see, this seems, I'm not, I'm not in the world. I'm not, I don't, I'm not a friend of the world. Okay, maybe, maybe not. But ask the Lord to search your heart. Ask the Lord to search your heart. Now here's some questions. Some diagnostic questions. As you can ask of yourself, you can ask the Lord to search your heart. First one. Is there something I must have? Is there something that I must have? Is there something that if I don't get it, I can't be fulfilled? Is there something you're chasing after, that you're striving for, that you have to have it? Is there something or someone, if I don't get that someone... Or if I don't get that something from that someone, or if I don't get this, whatever this is, what is this? Is there something you're striving for that you just can't get it? Or there's something that you do have it, and you, if, you lo- if the thought of losing it, it gives you great anxiety. In other words, what's most important to you? Do you have that fill in the blank? Is, is that something named Jesus? If not, whatever's in the blank is an over-desire. Because here's the truth. James is blunt. I'm going to be blunt. Everything that you think you have to have will be taken from you anyway. Everything. Your money, your relationships, your spouse. You will die or they will die. One of you will go first. Your children will all grow up and they will all leave. Some of you mothers are like, I hate you. I'm never coming back to this church. I'm speaking the truth and you need to hear this. Your children are precious, but they are not meant to be objects of worship. 
Your spouse is dear to you, but they are not meant to bring ultimate fulfillment to your life. Your job hopefully is meaningful to you, but it's not designed to give you ultimate fulfillment. God gives us creature comforts, but they in and of themselves are not the meaning of life. Do you understand that? Because James does. Is there something you must have? Why? Secondly, is there anyone that I resent? Now, the word resent means to harbor bitterness towards or, or to have indignation towards. This is not, this is, it, the question is not, is there someone that you disagree with? Duh. Do you have a pulse? Of course you disagree with someone. If you're married, you disagree with the person you're sitting next to. Often, yes? But that doesn't lead to bitterness and resentment necessarily. Now, bitterness and resentment is you harbor bitterness towards them. This person robs you of your joy. They, they take up rent-free space between your ears. You think about... They're, they're not aware that you're bitter towards them, but you can't stop thinking about the wrong they did to you. Or you can't stop thinking about the fact that they are between you and what you want, and you are bitter towards them. If you have that, if there is someone that you resent, why do you resent them? Why are you bitter? Why do they, why do they live rent-free between your ears? Why? Be honest. Answer the question. Because they hurt me. Because they are preventing me to get what I want. Now we're getting somewhere. And what is it you want? What is it you want? Go back to James chapter 4, verses 1 through 3. Do you see that that thing that you want or that they have taken from you, you've lifted that up to be of ultimate status. And it is robbing you of your joy. Let the Spirit do its diagnosis diagnostic work. And then lastly, some of you might say no and no. There's nothing I must have. And there's no, there's really no one I resent. Well, then the, the third question is what prevents me from devotion to Christ? This, this has to do with in what ways have I befriended the world? In what ways do I display earthly wisdom? Let me make this question a little bit more um, concrete, a little bit more concrete. So what prevents me from devotion as a bride, we'll use the metaphor of a spouse, as a, as a bride to Christ? What does it look like to be devoted to a spouse? Well, if you're devoted, you have a literal spouse and you're devoted to them, you spend time with them, you speak with them, you, you, you serve them, you interact with them. There's, there's, there's give, there's take, there's communication. So in, if we're the bride of Christ, corporately, what does is, what is devotion as an individual, a follower of Christ, what does devotion to Christ look like? Here's some, here's some things. It, it looks like drawing near and being in the Word. I want to hear from Christ. I want to hear from Him. I want Him to speak to me. It looks like drawing near to Him, and I want to tell Him what's on my heart. I want to share with Him what I need. I want to share with Him my hurts. I want to share with Him when I'm upset. I want to talk to my, 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 uh, my groom. I want to speak to him. I want to pray. 
It looks like being in caring community. It looks like being a part of a family of other like-minded believers who love Jesus and they love me. And so being a part of a, as a follower of Christ who's devoted to Christ means that I'm devoted to, to other people and they're devoted to me and we speak into one another's lives. It looks like, it looks like serving. It looks like loving my neighbor and seeking their welfare. Because to love Christ means to love the things that he loves and he seeks my welfare and he wants me to seek the welfare of others, both Christian and non-Christian. It means serving. It means sharing. It means opening my mouth. It means proclaiming that, that Christ is the risen Savior and making him known among my neighborhood and among my community and among the nations. And it looks like gathering together in a family reunion corporately and celebrating what he has done for us. That's what devotion looks like. Now, why, if pick any one of those and think about why don't you, if, if, if any one of those or all of them, some of you, some of you are like, why don't I say, why don't you do those things? And some of you say, well, I don't have time. I don't have time to be in the word. I don't have time to be in prayer. I don't have time to be in caring community. I don't have time to serve other people in the body of Christ or outside the body of Christ. I don't have time to share my faith. And I don't have time to come to corporate worship to celebrate what my king has done. What do you have time for? That's what you love most. So now what? Some of you feel awful right now. As you would if you had to literally declare to your bride, I've cheated on you. That's not a good feeling. And spiritually, some of you are there and you're like, this is awful to feel the way I feel, to be called an adulterous person spiritually and then to recognize, you know what? It's true. It doesn't feel good. It feels terrible. Some of you are like, I thought I was supposed to be made to feel good at church. Yeah, but not right away. (laughs) Not right away. Yes, ultimately, but no. First, we have to identify the problem before we can come to the solution. So what do we do now? But he gives more grace. James opens with a baseball bat, and now he comes to a salve, a a bomb something that will bring healing. But he gives more grace. Grace. Some of you who feel awful right now, let me just tell you something. There's nothing you can do to change it in and of yourself. But God can. But he gives more grace. Therefore, he says, God opposes the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. He gives grace to the humble. You know what's holding you back from ultimate joy? You know what's holding you back from ultimate joy? Your own pride. How do I speak so authoritatively on that? Because I've been there. 
when Stacy and I entered counseling in 1919, wrong, wrong century, 2019, anger was the quote unquote issue, right? Stacy was like, I can't deal with your anger anymore. So we went to counseling. And our counselor, him and his wife, said, Brooks, the, 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 the issue on the surface is your anger. But I have a suspicion the root issue is probably pride. Ding, 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 ding. Pride was my problem. Pride is my problem. Pride is your problem. Pride is the essence of earthly wisdom. It is what caused the devil to fall, and it's what he appealed to Adam and Eve in the garden with. Pride. You don't need God. You can do this on your own. And that's what's destroying your relationships. And that's what causes discord and fights and quarrels among you. What does he say? He's quoting Proverbs here. He says, listen, God opposes the proud. He, he's against you. He is not going to aid you in your own destruction. That's why he's not going to answer your prayers for what you want if you just want to use him as a cabin boy. He's opposed to the proud. He stands against you, not because he hates you, but because he loves you. He's, a, he's opposed to the proud, but what is he? He gives grace to the humble. He gives grace to the humble. So what does that look like? I said, there's nothing you can do. It is all grace, but we're not passive in the reception of grace. What do we do to receive that grace? Well, it's received by faith, but what, 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 kind, what does this faith look like? What does this look like? It, it looks like, verse 7, submit. Oh, seriously? I got to submit? Yes, you, you do. You have to submit. That means that you say, I'm no longer the one running the show. I submit, God, you run the show. You tell me what to do and what to say. I will submit to you. You are now my authority. I'm not going to ask you to bless my plans. I'm going to come to you and say, God, what plans do you want me to make? It means to yield, put to yourself under. And when you do that, it's the equivalent of resisting the devil and he will flee because the devil can't work with someone who's humble. He has no material to work with. You step outside of his reach. He takes a swing at you, but he doesn't have the reach because your pride brings him right in close and that's when the blow lands because pride comes before fall. But where humility is, you're out of his reach, so submit yourself, therefore, to God. Resist the devil and he'll flee. He's like, "I, I don't have any material to work with, with a humble person. Draw near to God and he will draw near to you. Draw near to God. Now, here's where this is important. This is where the gospel comes in. If you believe yourself to be a spiritual adulterer, I guarantee you that if you don't understand the gospel, you are afraid to draw near to him. Why would you draw near to someone who you think wants to just thump you on the head? Have you ever tried to to maybe pet a dog that's been beat? What do they do? That hand comes near and you're like, the dog just kind of cowers. If you view your heavenly father as angry with you because of your spiritual adultery and he wants to just take out his wrath on you, you won't. You can't draw near to him. 
Here's what you'll try to do instead. You'll try to reform yourself and you'll try to show God that you're not as bad as you used to be. And good luck with that because it's not going to happen or worse, it will. And then you will think that he is in your debt because you have made yourself awesome. Which means that you have elevated yourself to a new level of pride. But that's not the gospel. Let's keep reading. Let's get to the gospel. Cleanse your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. Stop trying to live with the wisdom of the world and the wisdom that's from above. They, can't, they cancel one another. And you live in this no-man land where you're tossed to and fro by the waves. Be wretched and mourn and weep. It's like, this is terrible. I just feel awful, awful enough. Here's the deal. When you see the holiness of God and you see yourself as not being holy and you recognize that you've offended him, it leads to feeling bad. But what does Jesus say in the Sermon on the Mount? Blessed are those who what? Mourn. Why? Because they will be comforted. Joy comes in the morning after mourning. Two definition, different word uses of the word mourning. Joy comes, but not until there's been repentance. And, and oh, seriously, I'm a spiritual adulterer? Yes, own it. But don't embrace it and mourn over it. It's okay to feel bad. It's okay to feel shame. It's not okay to stay there, though. So what do we do? Verse 10, humble yourselves before the Lord, and he will exalt you. I said when we first started this series in James that we're always going to keep coming back and end with the gospel. James is not ignorant of the gospel and neither are his readers. He doesn't explicitly go through it like Paul does because he knows they know it. But what does he say in James chapter 1, verse 21? Therefore, put away all filthiness and rampant wickedness and receive with what? What, is it? what do we receive? How do we receive it? With what? Meekness. Humility, right? Talked about that last week. And receive, what do we receive with meekness? What is it we're supposed to receive? The implanted word of God, which is able to save your souls. That's the gospel. Here, here's the thing. Yes, we're all spiritual adulterers. Yes, we've all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Yes, the wages of sin is death. Yes, God owes us nothing. But the gift of God is eternal life. In Christ Jesus. The gift of God is the righteousness of Christ. The gift, the grace of God is received by faith. And you don't reform. I don't reform myself. I just come to Jesus and say, Jesus, here's the truth. You already know it. I ask you to search my heart and reveal what you already know. You want to know the truth, Jesus? I'm proud. I'm vain. And I've treated people with contempt and I've exalted myself. You already know it. I know it. And I need grace. And Jesus, you stepped down off of the throne and you took my pride upon yourself and you took my lust upon yourself and you took all of my over-desires and you took the penalty for all of that and you washed my sin on the cross and you conquered sin and you conquered death and you gave me your Holy Spirit. And now, Lord, I am asking you to cleanse me from the inside out. And I know tomorrow I'm probably going to be proud again. So I'm going to need your grace just to keep going. Do you know what God does when he hears people cry out to them like that? He says, that's my kid. 
and they have the righteousness of my son. And I am going to transform them into the likeness and image of my son. And I'm going to give them joy right now in the midst of their mourning. That's what it looks like. And that's how we receive the grace humbly that he gives us through the implanted word. So receive it. For some of you, it's you need to receive Christ as your savior today. Tell him what he already knows. That you've sinned and fallen short of the glory of God and you want him to save you, to enter your life. For some of you, you're like, well, I've been a Christian for a long, long time, but yeah, I'm bitter. Give that to him. No, it doesn't mean that you just change your feelings towards people who have hurt you. That hurt might be a real injustice, but it does mean that you allow him to take care of it. Humble yourself. Say, okay, Lord, I, I give up. I submit. You take control. Draw near to him. Claim the promise that James gives us here in, his, in, in God's word. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your grace. Thank you for the fact that it is given to all who come to you and cry out to you. And Lord, I just pray, Father, for, for myself, for each one of us, Lord, that you would help us to walk in faithfulness, Lord, as your followers, Lord, not because of our own righteousness, but because of what you've accomplished on the cross. Father, I do pray for each and every soul here, Lord, that we would find our joy and our peace in you for our good, but for your glory in Jesus' name.